welcome to Define the Relationship podcast, a podcast where we explore the relationship we have with the Bible and ourselves. I'm one of your hosts, Darlene Enstick. And I'm the other host, Ted Enstick. And as you can tell from our names, we belong together. I just defined the relationship. Well, welcome back, everyone. Uh, it's good morning for it's morning for us. Um, so we're happy to have you back. This is episode four of Define the Relationship podcast, and uh, this morning we are going to dive into the laws. Um, chapter three is about God's laws and. Uh, Pete Enza's tagline is evasive and fidgety little buggers. <laughs> Getting a little bit uh, irreverent there with the uh, subtitles. Yes. Might yeah. make some of our parents a little uncomfortable mm-hmm. reading a chapter <laughs> like that. Yeah. So um, if you're reading along with us, which which we are definitely encouraging you to do, um, uh, Pete is leading us into a conversation. He's Pete now. He's not Peter. He, we're becoming I very, think, we're, we're getting to know him a little bit better. I think he refers to himself as Pete ends actually. Yes. So, yes. and I, we feel pretty close to him. And I feel better point. that way because my dad's name is Peter ends. So, you know, I would never call him Pete. Actually, I would never call him Peter. But um, anyway, <clears throat> I think laws in general, biblical laws are, uh, a challenging thing to n- talk about and know where to put in our current modern society and to understand laws and to even understand why they're, why they're necessary, um, for us. But I want to, I want to ask you a question, Ted, to start us off. And it actually, it, it doesn't come out of this chapter. It comes out of Pete's podcast, um, <clears throat> where he ruins Exodus. That's the title of it. And he's discussing laws. And one of the most interesting things to me in the podcast was about how we tend to pit law and grace as against each other. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's a really common, large mistake that Christians often make. And... So in his opinion, grace is always, you know, it precedes law. Hmm. And <clears throat> law and legalism are not the same thing. I had to sit with that for a minute. Like that law is not the same as legalism. So I don't know. Do you have just like as a precursor to this conversation about, you know, talking about law, um, do you want to f- maybe frame it in a way that we can s- see that even that word in a in a bigger kind of in a broader sense? That's kind of a big question, but I think, um, yeah, I think I get the point that ends is is getting at with with that question because we tend to it's it's pretty easy as um, people of the tradition of Christianity, followers of Jesus that uh, we can read Jesus or we can see the type of way that Jesus is inviting us to to be a, 
a way that sort of distances us from from law, especially the law as it's articulated in the Old Testament. And there's sort of a bit of, um, well, we're leaving some of that behind um, in Jesus, and Jesus is coming with love and grace and, and comes to save us, and we're not saved by the law, but we're saved by Jesus. And we tend to pit Jesus against the Old Testament. And um, and this is actually in the history of Christianity. This was a major tension. Um, I think I believe it was Marcion who who uh, proposed that most of the Old Testament be shelved in the Bible because um, it had so little to do with the Christian faith. It was too legalistic it was too um yeah so it just needed to be kind of set aside and i think what ends is trying to say and i would agree with him is that actually the idea that god saves first Mm -hmm. that grace comes first and then laws are a response to the saving is a significant um, emphasis even in the Old Testament. So he makes the point, I know in that podcast, I've also listened to that recently, And but also um, you can see it. If you look at, for example, the Ten Commandments that are found in Exodus, um, it starts with a very short preamble that basically says, I am, I am the God that rescued you from slavery in Egypt. I'm now paraphrasing. but yeah. And so the first thing is describing how God has liberated the people of Israel. And now these are the ways that you should live to be people who worship the God who saved you. And then he goes, uh, God gives the Ten Commandments. And, um, And so there is an actually an integration between salvation and law, even in the Old Testament, although we tend to kind of present it like, well, that's just like the old ways of thinking, and those laws aren't even relevant anymore. And, in, and besides, we don't get saved by what we do. We get saved first by God. And um, so I think it's really good to emphasize that. And um, part of maybe our relationship to the Bible gets impacted by that perspective in that we just sort of come to it and say, like, well, that's just irrelevant. Those are just old, ancient laws, and and we don't get saved by them anyway. So let's just put it all aside. And I think um, Pete Enns is inviting us to not so simply disconnect those two things, but actually engage them together. And some people might be listening and thinking, okay, you just in the previous episode talked about, you know, it's the Bible is not a rule book. And then now we're talking about laws, which sound like rules. So what are you talking about? You just tried to set me on a track of saying it's not about rules. And now we're talking about the significance of law. Yeah. How do you want to, how do you want to respond to that? Yeah, that's a good question. So maybe we should kind of get into um, this whole idea of law. I mean, um, it's pretty obvious that you cannot read much of the Bible, Old Testament or New Testament, without um, getting into commandments or descriptions of what is the way that we are to live and what does it mean to be people who obey God and obey the life 
that we're being invited to by God. And so it's hard to get away from that. And this is where I, I guess it makes some sense that we would um, get the get the sense that, that the Bible is a rule book. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's kind of at the heart of it. And, yeah, there's story and there's narrative and, and all kinds of other stuff. But, you know, at the heart of it, there's some some concrete things that we're asked to do. And, uh, and concrete uh, doesn't mean clear again. I just want to, uh, reinforce, uh, an invitation to converse with laws as, um, as instruction, as wisdom, as, you know, that's sort of the umbrella that we walk into this conversation with. It's, it's, um, it's, you know, ambiguous. It's as Pete says, evasive. So let's, let's kind of get into, into that. Um, yeah. So just, just to like highlight like early on in this chapter, um, chapter three of how the Bible actually works, um, ends points out that, you know, you, you see lots of law and laws in the in the Old Testament, and they cover all sorts of scenarios. I mean, at times, you know, they're very big picture laws, like you shall have no other gods but Yahweh, the God, and um, so that's kind of a big picture law about who you should worship. And then other times, there's there's very specific scenarios about what you do if you uh, if you injure the slave of somebody, and uh, you know what kind of interaction is happening there, and so so that's that's one part and it's pretty clear in the way laws are presented it's very clear that <laughs> they are to be obeyed um obedience is what is being their commands often they're not you know it would be a good idea if you tried to live your life in this way but no they're commands they're you must do this or else there will be consequences why what, what and but i'm just before i get into the why i mean it's this is the way it's presented this is this is the way it's communicated and sometimes um the penalties for disobedience are quite stern like there's a couple of good ex ex uh, uh, consequences like excommunication from the community being put out of the community pretty significant execution for for not uh, living it and in some cases there's consequences like drought famine blindness and your children being snatched away <laughs> all pretty serious consequences from these from these laws and yet at the same time it's quite obvious how ambiguous these laws are so so let's pick I'm going to pick a law and it's it's the law that uh, that ends picks up on I think it's a good one so in the Ten Commandments, Commandment Four is all about the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath. A pretty clear command. Don't work on the Sabbath. And uh, there's a there's a connection to there's a connection to why that command is there, having to do with the Exodus and the Israelites being in slavery and having to work all seven days of the week and work hard. Um, but the basic command is that you are to remember the Sabbath and you are not to work. But the question is composed right away. What is work? Can I weed on the Sabbath? Can I wash windows? This is a very important question for some of the listeners 
of the podcast. We've gotten a number of responses about wanting the secret of how to wash windows. But the important question here would be, is it okay to wash windows on Sunday? On Sabbath? Wait, is Sabbath Sunday? That's, that's another question. There's, it, it's, it's very ambiguous. So um, the law, keep the Sabbath, is pretty clear. But how to keep the law and what that means is super unclear. When you get into the particulars, it gets fuzzy. Yeah. Yeah. And so often law in the Bible is presented as, well, just follow, you know, it's very clear. You just need to obey the laws. But, you know, you you don't need to be an adolescent um in conversation with their parents arguing about what that exactly means to realize that there seems to be quite a bit of wiggle room there. And would you agree that the invitation, the overarching invitation there is that God is inviting us into, um, you know, not just with that law in particular, but in the laws to, um, to a healthy, wise kind of community and life. This is for our benefit, not to not to be like a burden on the community, but to to be a pathway. Right. And that perspective that you just I think you just shared does acknowledge that there needs to be some interpretation. There needs to be some overarching um sort of spirit and direction to how we view these commandments, these laws. There needs to be some work to figure out what, you know, what is, what is relevant right now. Um, you know, or when, maybe even before that there needs to be, would you say an understanding that, um, that there's something good about it? Or what do you? <laughs> you're looking. Well, say at me. more about that. I mean, like again, our um, our reasoning. If if we are inviting people to kind of think about following God, following Jesus, this is what we do. You know, making Jesus real at Seeds, and um, so what? I always think about like so. What's underneath? The, why would I even want to, to do this? That that. You know, not just how to do it is when you decide that you want to do it. That comes after. So the, right. you know, before you think about, well, how is, how can we interpret this? How can we understand this in our, in our time? We somehow have to also get to the place of, well, do we want to do this? Is this yeah. So, I mean. So what's going on here, I believe, in, in the Old Testament around the development and the articulation of law, a way of living, how to live. I mean, this is really about how do you build a society? How do you build a community that is a good community to live in? A community where there's life, where there's justice, where there's, um, yeah, where there's a good community. We're, like, we're not... We're not uh, in our present day community in the 21st century. We are quite 
comfortable and used to living in the context of societal rules and laws that we are asked to do. Like right now in this um, particular pandemic of COVID-19 that we're living in, we're, we're often um, wondering about and waiting to hear from our governments to say, these are the things that you are allowed to do right now and these are the things that you're not allowed to do. So for example, we are not allowed to travel right now. Any non-essential travel is basically forbidden. I mean, like we could probably get around that quite easily and, you know, but there's a sense that for the safety of our community, these are guidelines and laws that we need to follow. And so in, a, in the same way, there's a perspective in the, in the Bible around law that this is a way to have a community that's a good community where things will work well and there will be, um, I mean, I think in the, in the biblical understanding community, things like justice, shalom, peace, well-being are very important parts of this. And the law is an integral part of that. It's a way of shaping society. Mm-hmm. And, um, but it doesn't take long before we get into the biblical laws and it becomes problematic, right? When we're talking about laws around the rights of slaves or the property of uh, daughters or... Yeah, for sure. I mean, so this is where, to to bring up the the ongoing theme of of this book, that the Bible is ambiguous, it's ancient, and it's also diverse. Like, this is another place, talking about the law, where these three... Um, these three things are going on and we need to, to be aware. Um, I think the ambiguity is the thing that, that jumps out at us the most, because if you're reading it closely, you start to see that, um, you find laws that contradict each other and, or you find laws that start out being maybe more stern or more strict. And then they start to soften over time. And, um, you know, it becomes becomes very apparent that it's not as simple as saying we'll just follow the law of the Bible, the Bible's laws, because you know there's there's more stuff that needs to be figured out. Mm-hmm. Like we talked about with Sabbath, what does it mean to uh, to uh, to follow the Sabbath? Apparently, in the Jewish tradition, they developed this perspective that one needs to. F- figure out in the context of community what it means to follow the law. The law becomes something larger than the individual guidelines or rules that it seems to to express, but that's actually to follow the law, they would call it the Torah, means something much more expansive. And, and so, even so that... Just, oh, so sorry, I was going to say, so, so for example, around the commandment number four around the Sabbath, um, the first, uh, the Mishnah, which was a, a Jewish legal reflection, legal kind of thinking about the laws that they had, they actually started to develop more specific understandings about what it meant to live out the Sabbath. And so they came up with a list of 39 activities that were forbidden on the Sabbath, like planting, plowing, cooking, sewing, and writing. No windows, though. So 
as far as I know, washing windows is still okay. You're clear. You're, you're I don't the think clear. they maybe had windows at the time, but anyway. Um, so there was this perspective that to be faithful to the Bible and what was being shared, the law, one had to adjust one's thinking over time to understand what it means to actually live this out. And so it's a very nuanced, um, a bit more of a complicated process, something that can't simply just jump off the page and say, oh, it's clear what we need to do in relationship to the law. But it was something that had to be figured out. And it was not scripted, but it was more of a wisdom exercise. Yeah, and even the biblical story itself is shows us the change in those laws, right? Like even some were already outdated for later biblical writers. So you see that um, that wisdom, that interpretation, actually, that model of that is given to us already. In it's not just oh now we in 21st century have to reinterpret it. It was being reinterpreted and um, adjusted, amended, even then. Yeah. I mean, that's, a, that's a, a really, really important point, that this model of, of, of approaching the biblical laws as a wisdom exercise is not something that we kind of have to figure out ourselves in our present day because the Bible is so ancient. Um, this was already happening in the Bible's narrative itself. And um, so you see a evolution of thinking around certain issues. So, for example, one of the one of the issues in the Bible that is it's very hard for us in the 21st century to really to wrap ourselves around is the idea of slavery, because to us in our time, the owning of any human being is just we think that's ant- antithetical to to being a good human and never mind being a person of faith. Like this does not make any sense to us. And yet there is a, there is much written in the Bible about slaves and owning slaves and, and what that's supposed to look like. And so on first blush, I mean, we just might want to just completely sort of set anything about slavery aside in the Bible, because it just seems like it's so barbaric and, out of date and it's just not um it should just be ignored or 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 basically rejected but but we can see that um obviously at the time the biblical time slavery was a reality it was a part of society and um even the story of israel their story was that they were slaves um indentured servants to the nation of egypt and so um, their own self-understanding as slaves, you can start to see how the, the wisdom of the laws were starting to be set out that there would be some levels of justice and um, there's, there was like fairness in how, how slaves were, were treated. And um, so you see things that were like we would call them more progressive understandings of slavery, even for the time that they were in. Yeah. To us, they would seem like well, hardly progressive. But if you look at it as kind of relative to where other societies were at the time, there's a sense that slavery was being set up in a different way. But 
you, you see that like um, he makes the he he de- develops uh, Pete Enns develops sort of three voices that you see early on in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus, the book of Deuteronomy and the book of Leviticus. And you go from voice one being in book of Exodus that slaves are property. And there's a difference between male slaves and female slaves that male slaves can actually ask for their freedom after a period of time, but female slaves never. Yeah. And then in the book of Deuteronomy, there's now a, a different voice where there is a suggestion that both male and female slaves can ask for this thing. There's a progression going on there. And then in the book of Leviticus, a third voice, which makes the point that Hebrews, the Israelites, were no Hebrew is ever to be considered a slave, and that there's this, this idea, progressive idea of a year of jubilee, which is every 50 years, that all people who were slaves are freed and actually end up going back to being free people. So there's... Um, Somebody might look at that and say, like, oh, there's sure a lot of contradictions around uh, what the Bible has to say about laws. But another way to look at it is that there is a progressive model of engagement as a community with these issues, and there is movement. Yeah, and I just, um, I want to, like, insert one thing that kind of struck me from that, too. It's not only that those things, Deuteronomy and Exodus didn't match up um, in terms of how they spoke about slavery, but that they, in both books, they ascribe God as being the one, you know, this is coming from God. Hmm. So, okay, well, this is coming from God in Deuteronomy and this is coming from God in Exodus and they're different. Mm -hmm. So what's up with that? And, and again, like this, um, this encouragement to, to not view that as a problem. Yeah. So how is that not a problem? I mean, that's like, to me, it seems like if we're dealing with a piece of literature that has taken on sacred stature in communities over centuries, the Jewish community, the Christian community. Um, this is a real, can be a real problem for us. Part of it is we've been given a perspective around sacred texts that um, they are to be viewed as infallible and without error. And there is a lack of sort of human imprint on these texts. We, they are divine texts. And I think that um, what we are engaging with in this process as we start thinking about the Bible and how the Bible actually works is we're starting to understand that this is a sacred text that has both a divine imprint on it and at the same time, it's very human. It's, it's very messy. Um, and there are different traditions and different voices, that diverse voices that are being... Um, that are being shared in it. And we really are at a disadvantage to understanding how it will bring life to us in our present time, in our present faith, if we're not comfortable and aware of this, this tension between the divine and the human going on. And so, um, again, ends makes it, you know, this is a, 
a big thing that he always is kind of like hammering on. But he says that this this aspect, this is an ambiguity. It's actually the genius of of the Bible. It's not its biggest problem. He sees it as one of its greatest features mm-hmm. that it it um, it models this back and forth between the divine and human. And so it invites us to become part of that. It invites us to engage in it. To it's this is a conversation with God, with God's community, the world, uh, with ourselves. Really, I mean, at Seeds, we talk a lot about relationship, relationship with ourselves and others, and with God. And and I think that is if you're looking for boxes to tick, you know, check. I fulfilled this law, you know, a rote kind of obedience, then for some of us that maybe feels good. Like I am a list person. I I really like to be able to know that I'm doing it right or that I'm accomplishing something. Um, But also it's this opportunity to, okay, let's put, let's think about this in a way that, that is about engagement more so than, um, an engagement towards wisdom more so than a rote um, command to obedience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's. I think you articulate that very well. And I think one of the, um, like, what difference could that make for us in our in our faith lives, especially in our life as a faith community? I believe that this. Uh, invites us to create space for engaging this messy, this messy ambiguity and the ancient aspects of the text and the diversity of the text. And so we can start to see that while we have diversity of perspective in our own community around what is um, a good way to live and what is the best way to live, and we're always being challenged by new um, new issues in our time where we become, we come to understand things differently than we did even just a few years ago. And um, this kind of going back to, I think it's his point in chapter one, where he's saying that God is not a helicopter parent. I think that if we put it into the, into the kind of the, the dynamic of what it's like to be parents and to, to bring up children, this is part of the dynamic of, of, of parenting is um, the parents having a perspective about how things should go and then beginning to engage with their children as they grow and get older and then they start to have their own ideas about how things should be and they start becoming little adults and and even though they're they're not adults yet they can think and they can challenge and you together you come to an understanding about what it means to be a family and, and, and how to live. And then at some point you uh, give them the opportunity to make decisions on their own. And if you develop the type of, of family community where you are engaging these questions and you're making space for um, the ambiguity of life, then you develop into the, into a family that, you know, is able to move forward together and you learn what wisdom is like. It's this, and so um, it's, it's actually quite exciting to engage the Bible in this way because it allows other voices to come in and say like, Oh, um, Oh, I see it this way. I see it that way. How do we, how do we come to some wisdom that embodies 
the grace of a God who saves God's people, like God did in the Old Testament, and how God invites us to a life that creates the type of community that God has in mind for us. So mm-hmm. um, it's definitely messier, but it's also much more energetic and engaging, I think. People often, you know, use the phrase like like living biblically, you mm-hmm. know. What what does that mean to you? <laughs> I know that's a big kind of yeah. a big question, but Yeah, it reminds me of the the book, I can't remember who the author is, but The Year of Living Biblically, I think uh, yeah. Abrams, I think is his name. Uh it was a quite a popular book a number of years ago. Um where he took it upon himself to to live as literally the the Bible um, for a year, and he wrote about it. It's quite entertaining and uh, um, kind of laughable at times what that what that all required of him. But yeah, like um, this is where yeah, like often people say, "Well, this let's talk about the biblical." the biblical perspective on marriage. And uh, some of us have maybe seen the the meme that uh, floats around on the internet where there is basically, I think, six biblical perspectives on marriage that are shared. And um, um, everything from polygamy to, um, to what we think of in our time as a monogamous uh, marriage relationship. And, um, you know... We need to have a more sophisticated, I think, and nuanced understanding about what it means to live biblically. Because uh, if we mean by living biblically just doing what the Bible says in relationship to the issue that we're talking about, um, it gets pretty ambiguous, pretty diverse, pretty quickly. And then we're left with multiple options that would be considered biblical options. And um, I don't know, it seems like we come to a dead end there. Um, we, need, we need to go to a, either a higher level or a deeper level, which I don't know which direction we go. Yeah, but. I wonder if we could create a new vision for what it means to, to live biblically. Yeah. Like, I, I'm just thinking about this off the cuff here, but like if, if the gift of the Bible, if the gift of the, um, the scriptures is to invite us to wisdom, then that is, that is to live bib, to live biblically is to, to commit oneself to, um, to the path of wisdom in community, in conversation with God. And I, well, that sounds pretty broad. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. It's broad and particular. And, you know, I think for us personally, like on the Sabbath, when you mentioned that before, you know, what we've tried to, we've tried to engage that and wrestle with that in a way that would honor this, um, this command to rest to um and what 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 that looks like and we've talked to each other about it and we've like what 
that looks like for you, Ted, you know, while washing windows might feel, you know, we joke about that, but, um, I might've done that on a Sunday recently, just full profession. And just your addictions, my addictions, the things that we compulsively try to get at and what does it look like for us to allow God's goodness to, you know, to kind of detach from some things. And, mm-hmm. um, so that to me is living bib- biblically. It's not about nailing something down or following something. Um, but it's also taking what's given to us seriously. So I don't know. Just yeah. thoughts about I mean, that or? Yeah. The thought, the thought that comes to mind is like, I mean, one of the things that I think, um, I mean, I, I'm reminded of the wise teacher, Jesus, um, the one who embodied wisdom in his life and modeled for us what it meant to, to live a wise life. When it came to the law, I mean, he had people come up to him on many occasions and ask, what is the most important law? Mm-hmm. What's the biggest law? And he really boiled the law down to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as, as yourself. All the laws, he said, and the prophets hang on, on that. And so there's a, much, there's a larger lens that we look through when we ask the question, what does it mean to live biblically? What does it mean to live true to the law of God? And Jesus gives us an insight there where we can we can see almost anything through the, through that lens. And, um, it doesn't give us clear answers to specific situations, but it does give us something that we can wrestle with ourselves and, and in, in a relationship with God and with others, we can wrestle with what it means to love our neighbor as ourselves, And what does it mean to love God? Like what's, what's all involved in loving God in, in a particular, particular thing. So, um, if it's like how we live in relationship to our, to our environment, we can ask the question, what does it mean to love God in relationship to our environment? And what does it mean to love our neighbor as ourselves? Like there, there's, there's lots of, clarity that can come from that from that process and so i think um i think we've been given some some handles there that we can but we need to recognize that this is going to be an ongoing process there's not going to it's not going to get sort of solidified at any point and we're going to know from this point on what it means to live true to the law it's going to be ongoing and this is a good thing. And this is a good thing, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for that. Um, that's good stuff. I I think we are probably at the time where we should wrap up. Unless mm-hmm. you had something else you wanted to... Anything else you wanted to point out from the chapter that... No, I think we, I think we got at the heart of the stuff. And... Uh, Looking forward to continuing the conversation as we move move to the next chapter. Yeah, so the next chapter is um, called Wisdom Equals Time Plus Diversity. Okay. So thanks for joining us and uh, hope you join us next time. Yeah, take care, everyone. <laughs>